this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is Trisha Keffer. I hope you enjoy the following interview. And if you do, and you have some ideas for new books in landscape architecture, please visit my website and drop me an email. My website is plantspeoplelove.com. This is New Books in Architecture with a special mini-series in Landscape Architecture. I'm your host, Trisha Kaffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida. And today I'm speaking to the editor, Nadia Amoroso, the book, Representing Landscape Digitally, published in 2015 by Routledge. Nadia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Oh, very well. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Nadia Moroso. I'm, I'm actually a faculty member at the University of Guelph, uh, located in southern Ontario in Canada, about an hour away from Toronto. Um, so I've been a faculty there teaching mainly in the studios. Uh, our school is called SEDRED, which is the School of Environmental Design and Rural Development. And uh, we do have one of the kind of the largest landscape architecture uh, schools in Canada with both undergrad and master's in landscape architecture uh, programs as well. Um, so I mainly teach the studios, but my research interests uh, deal with visual communication, graphics, and uh, also this idea of datascaping and fabrication and visual um, and data visualization as well. Um, so those are my areas of research interest. Um, well, for our audience, uh, for the landscape architects, I did notice in your your bio uh, real quick that you have uh, degrees in architecture and uh, urban design. How did you come to landscape architecture? Yes, that's correct. So I have um, a, a degree in uh, uh, landscape architecture and urban design from the University of Toronto. And then I went on to continue my studies um, at the University College London, um, basically the Bartlett School of Architecture in the UK um, in architectural design. Um, but my my studies in, in landscape architecture, my interest in landscape architecture came from a passion of understanding outdoor spaces, uh, making better places for people, not just for the indoor environment, but also for the outdoor environment. Oh, it's so interesting uh, how uh, different... Uh we all come from a different perspective and, and fine landscape architecture. Um, so we'll begin. Uh, tell us what it was your motivation for writing this book. So actually my very first uh, publication in this landscape architecture or representing landscapes uh, series comes from a book called representing landscapes, a visual collection of landscape architectural drawings. Um, 
So this book actually came out uh, around 2012. Um, and this idea for this publication came about first when I started teaching in landscape architecture in the United States. I, I used to get a lot of students asking me, what is the best way to visually communicate post-industrial sites or wetlands or specific types of landscapes? Um, and so I would make them go or refer them to make them see different types of projects that were done by professionals in and see them in various landscape architecture journals, such as Lotus, Topaz, or Landscape Architecture magazines, to kind of get an idea of how the professionals are communicating their ideas in, through plans and, and perspectives. Um, you know, so the issue there was they were getting a lot of content from professionals, but not really seeing works done by other students. So essentially, they were kind of working within the bubble of their own institution. And I thought it would be great to see or open up the platform to see what other students, you know, and their similar kind of skill sets are doing in other landscape architecture programs across the globe. And so this idea of the representing landscapes, uh, a visual collection of landscape architectural drawings came to being. And so uh, I reached out to about... I would say about 20 uh, professors um, from various landscape architecture programs uh, across the globe, uh, you know, from Harvard, from LSU to Florida International University, um, you know, and I asked them to put forward what they would consider some of their best student works in terms of visual communications of different kinds of landscapes and different kinds of ideas, so, you know, from post-industrial sites to wetlands um, to farm fields, whatever kind of different scenarios of the landscapes were available. Um, and also contribute what I would consider more kind of a a more of a narrative or even more of an academic, very short um, essay that would accompany these drawings. Um, and the intent was that this became a, a book that curated uh, a collection of students' works across um, various landscape architecture programs. So it became like a, 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 an exhibition within a book. Um, and so that's how this publication came into being. And that was back in 2012. Um, and then, you know, the book came into uh, some of the kind of courses and course curriculum in uh, landscape architecture, um, specifically in like the visual communications courses. And sometimes in the studio courses, professors would use that as a kind of a resource book. Um, then after a few years, uh, you know, I kind of got the itch to, write another book, right? <laughs> you know, I, I saw that the content maybe needed a bit of updating and and uh, and then I, you know, pitched to my publisher, how about having another book within this context of representing landscapes, but not like as a second edition, but more of a focus. And, and then that's where the representing landscapes digital um, book came. And, and, and basically it focused on more uh, graphics and, and visual communication styles with a, a digital outcome or a digital kind of uh, process. Um, and so that was kind of interesting. And, and so that took, you know, a couple of years to put together again and, and still the same kind of approach, um, you know, reaching out to about 20 to 25 
professors, again, from various institutions across the globe, um, again, in landscape architecture. Um, some were like repeating professors and some were new and upcoming and emerging emerging um, uh, academics in the field that were really kind of pushing the boundaries in, in digital representation and then, you know, kind of professing that um, to their students. And so I reached out to them to ask again if they could uh, put together or collect or curate within their own institution, um, like the top kind of ways that students are communicating certain landscapes um, using uh, digital means, right? And, um, you know, and this was like, again, different types of institutions that I would reach out to. Uh, University of Pennsylvania was involved. Uh, Rhode Island School of Design was involved. Uh, I also had uh, uh, DTH um, in Switzerland also involved. Um, and uh, also the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. So we had quite a, a number of institutions um, contribute to this one. Um, but the kind of the focus of this book was now structured in a different way compared to the first book. Um, this one is actually put together by drawing types. Um, so if you know about uh, Grant Reed's book on uh, on presentation graphics, like for the plan and also like sections books that he's had that students have been using. Um, he kind of gears that towards, you know, presentation plans and, you know, uh, uh, sections and perspectives. And um, of course, that was like back in the early uh, 2000s. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to see you know, kind of recapturing that spirit into a, a new book uh, that was kind of based on uh, the drawing type. So letting even students understand uh, what a presentation plan is, what a section is, what an asonometric is and all that, right? So so in this case, um, the contributors or the professors not only had to write about what their personal take or or academic take uh, was on visual communication and landscape architecture, but also kind of define in their own words what today, what a presentation plan is, or or what a section elevation is, or an asonometric is, or diagrams, right? And so they kind of had to put a little bit of a definition um, within the uh, essays, um, and then specifically curate um, their their chapter based on uh, the focus of the drawing type that was given to them or provided to them. So, you know, they had to specifically write about the presentation plan or they had to write about uh, perspectives or asonometrics. So the book was now geared um, or, or organized by these drawing types. Um, so with, again, again, the layer of, of having the work, having a, a digital uh, focus to that. Oh, that sounds fascinating. And um, I'm a recent graduate um, from FIU uh, here in Miami. And uh, this sounds like uh, what we talked about in class, just a great uh, collaborative effort between uh, landscape architects. Yes. Yeah. And it was actually like just for me personally, it was a great way for me to reconnect or even make new connections with other academics in the field, specifically uh, educators and, and, and also uh, practitioners who who are uh, in various landscape architecture programs across the globe and see what their students are doing and then like opening up 
you know, kind of the facet to see how their um, how their students are communicating ideas versus what our own institution here, um, how our students are communicating ideas. And, you know, are we on the same uh, same level of, of ground field there that we're doing or is it going to be are they like more advanced? It's kind of interesting to see you know, what kind of mediums or what kind of softwares they're using versus what we're using, right? And and so it was a great way for, for me to kind of uh, investigate uh, mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what other students are doing, right? And, and you know, kind, yeah. of, kind of putting up to par, are we at, at the same level or not, right? And and, mm-hmm. and so that, that was a good way. And, and of course, like just even communicating, um, and reconnecting with other professors. And I know with FIU, we always had Roberto uh, Riviera always um, as a staple. I think he's contributed to all three of my publications so far. And it was great to see some of the works from FIU being presented in the publications. Oh, yes. And so, well, let's move on. We'll move on to the first chapter. Talk about diagrams and mapping drawings. And I was interested in this uh, idea of datascapes. Um, how has uh, the computer uh, and digitally generated software changed diagrams from uh, just drawings and um, a simple drafting board? Uh, how has it advanced? Well, this chapter here, I think that was by Andrea Hansen. Um, and I think right now she's actually at the University of Virginia. Um, so again, the idea of datascapes is this idea of kind of drawing up upon information uh, based on this, the landscape or, or the site um, that the data is drawn upon and actually kind of sculpt and form new forms based on that information. Um, Uh, So you're kind of guided by data, right? The numbers actually kind of generate new forms. Um, So again, when I'm thinking about diagrams, diagrams are just kind of more of the simplistic visual expression to demarcate or mark up ideas that are quite complex, you know, through simple um, graphic notations, whether it be like uh, arrows or circles or stars, you know, that's the kind of basic forms that we think about diagramming in landscape architecture. And of course, it's mainly used for uh, inventory analysis, and of course, then to kind of draw about some initial design ideas. And even James Corner talks about the idea of diagrams, uh, not just being something analytical, but generative. Um, meaning it can help generate forms. So with the computer, you can start to create these new curves, these new lines, and through those lines and those curves, then you can begin to extrude them, and they can literally then start to generate walls or landforms or other kind of things that's not just um, hypothetical, but, but perhaps could be real. Oh, yeah, it was so fascinating um, and so much more information that can be in a diagram uh, that's computer generated um, than just, like you said, just, just hand drawing. Um, let's go on. Let's see. Uh, presentation plans. So uh, Roberto said uh, a nice quote here. It was the site plan is dead. Long live the site plan. Uh, could you explain more about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I you know, I, I'm putting words into Roberto's mouth, but I, I'm thinking like, you know, the site plan could have a lot of, of, of information. So so not just like, you know, we have the ability now um, to get 
aerial foot- photography um, instantly, obviously from Google Earth. And, and that's been now the case for like over 15 years. Like before that, it was very difficult to get um, an aerial photograph as a student. You know, you had to go probably to like a, uh, various like uh, ministries, like the environmental ministries and and uh, uh, different municipalities, and kind of request specific aerials um, from that in paper format, you know, or you literally had to kind of you go fly a little plane and take, and take photos, right? Um, but now, of course, you could go and see a site without actually being there through Google Earth and Street View, right? Um, so you know, kind of now the idea with the site plan is 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 how do you begin to um, artistically bring your idea across, right? With 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 digital means, right? Um, and so with hand graphics, there's this level of fine art, right? And 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 now with with digital means, like we all could do fairly well with representing things, and and it's like how can you up the ante antes with it? Like like how can you do more to make the drawing look effective um with these digital tools and 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 how to highlight specific areas for example of the site plan that you want people to draw your attention like how to make it dramatic and and i think this idea is is how to make your plan dramatic and tell your story um without it just being a a graphic piece Mm. So it's 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 not dead. We still need a site plan. Oh, of course we do. Yes, and I, <laughs> and I think I think it's the idea of how do you make connections um, visually uh, through that. Yes, yes. Uh, this other thing you was talking about. The next uh, chapter is the axometric uh, drawings and chunking landscapes, and it was quite interesting what he was talking about with psychology a little bit. Um, my bachelor's degree is in psychology and um, in learning theory. Uh, we talk about, you know, like chunking information to remember it, um, et cetera. So what is he really uh, talking about here with uh, the axometric chunking? Uh, is this the one by Christopher? Let me just recall that one. Uh, it's, uh, there's a number of people who've done this. Is that the one, Chapter 9? Yeah. Okay. So I think in, in this case is, is the idea of... <laughs> breaking things apart. Um, so like having them in isolation. So with the exploded asonometric, it's this idea of kind of, um, taking things that are complex and, and having them separated. Um, so, so things that are complicated to read now have this own kind of category, um, or call out for you to understand. So, when we're looking at like exploded asonometric, like sometimes we have them pulled apart to see things, for example, that are just dealing with vegetation or some that just deal with landform or some that just deal with hydrology. Um, so that complexity of it being all in one could be very hard for us to understand or recall, like this idea of a, a memory of, of having the whole landscape together. But once you start to break it apart, um, you begin to understand things through isolation. Uh, how does this type of drawing um, help your students communicate their ideas and, and how does it help professionals uh, communicate their ideas to clients? So I, I really like um, exploded asonometrics. They're a little bit complicated um, to put together, but, and they, but they look actually really cool. If you look at it as just a graphic, they're very beautiful to look at if done well. 
right? But again, when they're pulled apart, for example, you can begin to isolate and see just things dealing with planting, right? And then in 3D, you can begin to see the height of the trees, maybe the landforms or like the planting beds that just deal within vegetation. And within that, you may even have various color coatings of various shades of green um, that demarcate various types of of vegetation or ground cover, right? So you could have various shades of green within one kind of category. Then you start to break apart perhaps seating or rest areas, right? And you may want to think about what are benches or which ones are actually like perhaps like amphitheaters, Um, And then things that have to deal with like pathways, perhaps you may look at pathways that are done with gravel versus um, asphalt, for example, or concrete, right? So within that kind of paving or pathways, there is a different kind of elements that are used to create those pathways. And and then again, for like water, for example, you may want to see ones that are kind of more retention ponds versus ones that are becoming more like water channels, right? And, and so you, again, within those categories, you could have different color coding to represent different kinds of what areas. Um, and so it kind of, like I said, it breaks the plan apart, but putting it in 3D. Mm-hmm. And so like with the, uh, uh, maybe it's, it's Canadian versus uh, the U.S., uh, the, the axometric, uh, uh, they, uh, how does that differ like from the diagrams? Because diagrams kind of in your book are kind of like pulled apart like a, like the asymmetric. Um, is, is there any difference between these two types of drawings? Or are they very similar? They're similar. The only thing with, with the sonometrics, they're usually in 3D and they're pulled apart. So a sonometric is, is taking the base of the plan and rotating it somewhere like at a 45 um, degree or at a 30 and 60 degree angle, tilting that plan and then exploding and doing a parallel projection of all the kind of landforms or vegetation or other landscape elements that encompass that landscape. Um, so do you find with your students um, that this um, type of drawings in these different uh, categories, is it helping them to understand and better produce um, these axiometrics? Yes. Well, well, what I think is, is if you're looking just in general about visual communication and drawing, drawing, um, can be seen as two things as a tool, like as a tool to actually present your work clearly to a client, but also during that process, begin to understand design, like through the drawing method, you begin to see if things work or don't, right? So it becomes part of the process, right? You're not just trying to communicate the idea, but you're actually seeing if things work or don't work, right? So, so they, they're, they're almost essentially like a research tool in your design, right? They, they have to have both. And so it's kind of generative too for generating new ideas and new forms. Of course, yes. So when you start to doing, um, for example, a diagram, you might find something cool. Maybe, I don't know, if you're doing like an arrow that uh, showcase where wind patterns are, you might kind of use those lines to create walls that could create like maybe a Venturi wall or or it could create like an interesting kind of buffer area that literally you project and they become uh, places or placeholders for vegetation or walls or other landscape elements to be put in its, in, in its uh, position. We took it all. We brought them to our land. 
An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Oh, that's interesting. So, uh, but the next, uh, I'll go to the next, the, the next section of drawings. I'm kind of going down your, sure, your list sure. here. <laughs> uh, this section elevation. So, uh, could you tell us about section elevation um, in this book versus um, uh, why use that if you've got uh, the diagrams and the axiometrics? Okay, so section elevation is another important tool. Um, I, this one here, I think they were written by Daniel Ortega and Jonathan Anderson. I think Jonathan Anderson is now teaching here at Ryerson University, and and Daniel is, is the director um, at the University of La- Nevada in Las Vegas. Um, so this is a really good chapter, and and also Dietmar Stuber from the University of Manitoba, uh, sorry, the University of Winnipeg has written as well, and also Andrew Harkness um, from RISD. Um, so I just wanted to have a call out for those uh, colleagues who have contributed. Um, um, sure. Yeah, but uh, in terms of a section elevation, it's, this is a very important tool in landscape architecture because it allows us to see kind of the vertical dimensions of the landscapes. So kind of cutting through the landscape, cutting through landforms, cutting through trees, cutting through walls. So you're not just, so the plan looks at it in top view position at a flat, flat level. Whereas a, a section elevation now begins to see still in 2D form, but allows you to see the height of each of these elements. And if it makes sense in scale. Right. You know, wanting to see, for example, if certain types of uh, tree species work well with the height that they will go in in full potential next to a certain building or a certain seating element or a pond or where it's located. Right. So it allows you to kind of see a sense of scale. Um, So like a section elevation is very, very important to do that. Um, And how does that fit in with uh the other drawings before we go on to um, perspectives. How do you put all these drawings? Well, I guess we'll get to that in a minute at the end with case studies. Um, so you've, you've got planned, you've got axiometric, you're understanding. How are you using these drawings to, um, after you've come up with some ideas, um, do a presentation for your professor, or um, can this book even be used for professionals in the field? Yes, all of these tools are very important. It's, it's, it's different ways and different angles. I would say different angles or different views of, of communicating all aspects of your idea, right? So you see it in plan view for layout where things are located and positioned. You see it in section to see how, what are the heights of specific elements in the landscapes. You know, you, you see uh, a diagram to help you kind of communicate to your client's why certain things are placed where they are through like a, you know, simple um, graphic notation that communicate uh, a complex idea, right? It's like when you get an I- Ikea um, 
cabinet or Ikea, you know, uh, um, uh, I guess furniture piece and you open up the box and you have like the tools in there and, and you have this booklet, right? There's these little diagrams of like a person, how to assemble it. Right. And so that's what essentially like more in a, a I guess, comparative way, that's what we're doing, um, uh, in, in landscape architecture is you're kind of communicating site conditions and potential ideas to the client through these very simple graphics that people could understand. Right. But of course, with diagrams, you always have to have like a, a level of decoding. Like, you know, if you have like arrows or if you have circles or circles with various hatching, what does the, you know, empty circle um, represent versus the circle that's hatched, right? So you kind of always have to have like a legend or a key of, of what those symbols uh, represent, right? Um, so so that's what, what, uh, what diagrams are for. And and, and then, of course, we are going to go into the other chapters that talk about perspectives. And perspectives are very, very important, especially like for clients, right? Um, these become the, the marketing uh, graphic style or graphic platform um, that people use. It's to help sell the idea, right? When you're, you know, driving along the road and you see a new building put up or a park put up, they typically don't put sections or they typically don't put plans. Um, but what they do, they put these illustrative um, perspectives that kind of get a sense of the feel of what this space would look like, right? It's the kind of the closest thing that we as, as the general public understand of what the site would look like, right? And, and, and that's the main kind of thing that clients understand. And, and so perspectives give people the sense of feel, the sense of atmosphere into the space, and that's why that kind of drawing is also important. So, yes, yeah, so you've got uh, a couple of chapters here talk about, you know, sensing and um, it's more the talking about here, the um, uh, reinforcement through opposition and the, the emotion of the project um, and how how you're connecting like uh, people um, in with all of these uh, landscape drawings, et cetera. Because um, we've been talking about, you know, like uh, physical things, but how about um, people and diagrams? Well, that, that's right. So, Behavior. yeah, that's correct. And so the perspective in the perspective drawing, that allows you to actually add people in the space, right? So, you know, you could see a lot of people, for example, along a boardwalk, you know, holding hands, couples holding hands or, you know, bringing their kids and they're all happy and it's sunny, right? It, it allows you to set the scene. You could create the perfect scenario, like a sunny scene close to the waterfront. Um, everybody's happy. The child's holding a balloon and that kind of sense, right? Like you, you're, you're kind of guiding or telling the story of what you're, you wish that space would look like, right? And 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 that's what these perspectives allow you to do. It, it brings this kind of sense of emotion to the place, and and you can add people in different kind of um, positions or or different kind of situations um, within these perspectives. And you know, sometimes uh, depending on the, the climate or where your your location is of of the site you know, you may have one that represents like a summer view and another one that represents a winter view with, you know, children like skiing or skating along a pathway, you know, turning that kind of uh, boardwalk or, or, or walkway into like a potential long skating uh, uh, rink or skating canal, for example, right? And, and so it, it shows people various types of activities or various kinds of programs 
by just how the people are interacting in that space. So you're kind of like bringing the whole site plan to life. That's basically. correct. That's correct. So you can't really show that in a site plan, right? The site plan, again, just shows the layout and where various elements are located in relationship to each other. But uh, perspectives allow now gives you that kind of sense of emotion or that kind of sense of mood of, of what that space could look like. Of what is finished. Uh, so what is, um, I'm curious here, uh, Hovercraft, uh, David Fletcher. Oh, what is he referring to? yes, yes. Okay. I'm that one there. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not very familiar with that one as well, but I, I, I believe he talked about the aerial photos and, and how in the olden days, um, people used to take like, like, um, uh, hot air balloons and, and kind of seeing the site through, through, um, or kind of captured the sense of, of uh, the site through these uh, hot air balloons and looking at the aerial space from from uh, from below. So uh, a little bit of a little bit of everything. It was a curious uh, chapter and um, digital modeling. Are you still doing like some modeling? Uh, are we doing models differently now in studio, or are we going to be doing them all in computers, or 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 what do you kind of we have land formations? Um, by Jose and Clara. Yes, yes. And then there's the other chapter two, of course, um, from David Ma. Now, um, they, again, it's all about this idea of kind of having generative designs. And once you create these kind of 3D diagrams or, or, or um, interesting, like kind of uh, sonometrics or um, digital models that are within the computer, you're now able to actually fabricate it, um, of course, using 3D printing techniques or, or, or methods or, or using computer numerical control or CNC fabrication, which basically allows um, people to take that kind of topographical overview of your landscape and actually digitally carve that out and, and have it as a physical entity. Right. So, you know, you don't literally need to like um, do it by hand, but the machine will actually carve that out for you. And that goes to the same with laser cutter um, or laser cutting machines where, you know, you could have these kind of um, 2D uh, forms of uh, your contours um, presented in a layout in AutoCAD. And then the laser cutting machine will actually then kind of slice it and cut it out for you. Um, whereas, you know, doing it by hand, you would actually literally need then an X-Acto knife to kind of trace and, and carve through um, millboard or whatever kind of medium that you're using. But in this case, the laser cutting machine will precisely um, uh, kind of cut that out for you. So we can now um, just represent things. Is it uh, more accurately? Is it easier to go digital or is it easy to just go back to the exacto knife? You know, we're kind of uh, going back and forth here um, in landscape architecture between, you know, the new and the old a little bit, or can we combine the two? Uh, well, so the digital allows for more precision, um, you know, in, in, in some cases, right? Um but sometimes when you're working by hand, of course, there's this level of craftsmanship, right? There's this level of being tactile, you actually touching the medium, which is important. Um, and, and that kind of brings me to um, kind of the next projects. Like, like, so after this digital one, I kind of 
paused for a couple of years. And then a new book came out called Representing Landscapes Hybrid that kind of now breaks three breaks free from the sameness. Like we've seen like a lot of this kind of same look of the Photoshop renderings, um, but kind of now going back and actually combining bo- both hand graphics and, and uh, uh, digital representation together. Right. So you have some kind of level of drawing that's done by hand and then some kind of overlay of, of digital um, uh, kind of layering on top of that to, to kind of mix the uh, the kind of the mediums together. Do you find that students learn better uh, doing it digital, or or the age group it is more to digital, or are still people uh, learn better by by doing some of it by hand? Well, this is a kind of an issue now when you're teaching, especially first years. I think it's very important that they start off by hand, right? Like. And, 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 and one of the main things is, is this idea of understanding scale. Like when you're doing it first on computer, you can't physically see a printout of what, for example, is a one to 100 or, or something that's a plan that's at one to 1000. What does that mean? Right. But when you physically print it out and you put it on a piece of paper, you could see a plan that's done at one to 100 versus one that that's at one to 1000. And what that size and scale represents side by side, having a comparison. So I think we need to start off that way. And of course, everybody is using digital means, which is very important to, to have, but you need to start from the basics. And I think um, starting by hand is, is very important, right? Or even just doing a quick sketch of an idea, right, is important. And, and, and that's actually one project that we have right now in first year and in the landscape architecture studio at the university of Guelph is in the studio. We let them, for example, take uh, or draw uh, a landscape, uh, for example, like farm fields or an LA of trees, drawing it by hand. So they understand the perspective, right? The one point or two point perspective very well by hand and then scanning that image and then recreating that in Photoshop and having the two images side by side and, and seeing what kind of emotions change just through that kind of uh, comparison through the analog mean versus the digital mean. Mm. So we're really going kind of uh, now to more of a hybrid kind of learning process. That's correct. That's correct. I think both is important. Um, You know, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, that's true. Um, So, when you're bringing all this together, when you have the case studies chapter, what was your idea behind uh, these case studies? Let's start with uh, the Plastic River. Um, so with the case studies, this is all basically taking all the drawings that you have learned, you know, the presentation plans, diagrams, perspectives, and asonometrics, and how do you put them together in panels and, and panels are just a fancy way of saying it and putting it on a storyboard. Right. Right. And, 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 and yeah. right. Like you, you want to kind of begin to tell a story about your ideas and you're using all these pieces or all these kind of drawing types to help communicate a story, but they've been done now separately. And how do you actually now kind of post them on a storyboard to tell people what this all means, right? And and so you have various kind of case studies that kind of guide somebody through 
like, here's the concept, here's the outcome, and here are kind of the perspectives that kind of give you the feel of what that space would look like, right? So, so it, it just shows um, students potential ways of how to lay out your story once you have all the kind of the drawing components completed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in Plastic River, how does he, uh, how does he put it together uh, for students um, in this case study? specifically. Uh, okay, let me get to that one there. That one is, oh, this is the one by, by e, uh, this is the one by ETH. So in this case here, um, I think they were looking at Jakarta uh, as the area of investigation. Um, again, they were just looking, first of all, at creating a digital model of the whole site or the town in that area. And then actually um, kind of doing various um, what's called a, a flight drone path and then aerial photogrammetry, which is basically like a measured type of, of photograph. So like actually looking at um, what the kind of the width is and what the heights are of building through um, an aerial photograph and then kind of mapping out um various types of landscape conditions so they've done like like simulations like hydraulic um, hydrological modeling um, they've seen and, and kind of scoped out for example various floodplains like where could they actually now begin to develop along this riverbed without um, kind of affecting the landscape and vice versa like without causing flooding in the area as well so they did like a variety of like different kind of um, simulation modeling and then using that modeling now to um, kind of, I, I, I would say, as evidence to tell people where is the best position to start development. Because mm-hmm. it, it looks like they um, have kind of, it's it's almost a plan view, but it's just a little bit, a little bit lower so you can kind of like get a, like a nice wide view of the whole area. Yes. Yes. That's a kind of almost like an aerial perspective of the, of the site. Yes. So you could get to kind of see, you know, they just use simply white um, uh, models that represents uh, the build form or the mass modeling of the buildings and this kind of beautiful green swath that kind of serpentines across that whole landscape. And, and, and having areas that are wider and narrow depending on where like the best position of the of the of, of the development should happen on site um and just to get into a little bit of the details um, the students with this is this done in uh, did you talk about like the the software that they use to create um, these images um, so they use a variety of softwares um, some of them ha- that have used um, were uh, so for kind of more like research of the landscape ecology, they use what's called GIS um, softwares, like so geographic information system softwares such as um, Esri's Arc uh, GIS Online and Arc Map. Those are very important um, softwares to use. Um, a lot of them have used um, Rhino 3D. That's also kind of another important software that people have been using, and of course, um, Grasshopper. And, and Grasshopper is kind of a is a plugin or an extension to Rhinoceros, which is allowing for 
um, what's called parametric design or generative design. So if you need to change, for example, um, you know, the amount of uh, buildings in the area or another kind of data that needs to be changed um, within the landscape without remodeling the whole site, it, it would automatically fix that or, or repopulate or regenerate itself based on the new data input that you put in. I see. And that way you can, you can uh, at least when I've used the software, then you can move around in, in the 3D model and do different perspectives and uh, sections, et cetera, just after building it. That's correct. That's structure. right. That's correct. Yes, that's correct. And they also use like um, various like rendering uh, softwares like V-Ray. And they use this uh, other company called LabWork. LabWork is, is, a, is, a, is a group out in, in Germany. Um, they, I saw this, the group actually present in, in a conference about four years ago in, in, in Germany. Um, and, and what that is, is LabWorks kind of developed, um, more for photorealistic types of vegetation and trees. So, so for example, you know, in SketchUp, you may have more that kind of cartoonish look, but the developers of this, um, software are actually landscape architects and they work with computer programmers where they actually analyze the leaves and the barks of specific trees and created photorealistic, um, looking trees to be plugged into the landscape uh, model. Um, so I haven't seen their work in a while. I'm not quite sure where they stand right now, but at the time I thought it was quite innovative. Oh, yes, that's true. Oh, that's really interesting because, yeah, SketchUp kind of gets a little not quite realistic enough. That's correct. That's correct. And so their kind of mission was um, to have these kind of more realistic vegetation and 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 so when they're placed in the, the landscape they don't look um computer generated but they actually look real they look real uh i'm really fascinated this next uh case study repairing grayfield sites he really makes use of a lot of different um all of the uh drawings and visual communication lots of sections um uh Exometrics, site plan, um, et cetera, to communicate what they were talking about. Can you um, elaborate more on this one? Um, can you refer to which chapter was that one there? The chapter. It's the it's the case study. It's the next case study after after the, the plastic. plastic one. Okay, let me go back to that one. Is that that's oh okay? This one here is by Kofi Boone. Yes. Um, uh, so this one here again, they they're using the kind of same software programs um, that was being used for the uh, the the previous case study again using GIS geographic information systems and of course then using uh, Adobe Photoshop um, here um, this this the students were using different kind of uh, I guess, powerful tools or digital representation tools to communicate complex designs and planning proposals um, for that area. And that was things like intensive urban wetlands, adaptive strategies for the creek area, and of course, uncovering um, things that have to deal with what they would call like a food desert in, in like the suburb areas of this area. Um, and so they, they looked at various uh, applications. Uh, so one of the drawings that they have is the kind of the, the large scale 
a presentation plan that looks at the site more as a, as a, at a planning level, not very detailed, but more kind of, um, I would say grouping, uh, areas that have, uh, you know, different types of, of, um, vegetation, uh, ones that have more like a flatland area, but not detailed, more kind of a, a different overview or a different wash of the green of greenways. Um, and then they get more into detail in the actual asonometrics. Like they actually kind of start to break things apart in, in terms of what kind of soil is being used, what kind of actually geotextile protection frame is being used. Like they start now to go into a level of detail of what the individual green spaces will look like um, through the asonometric. So kind of that's an interesting way to tell like a story. Like they have a very generalistic site plan that's quite large, maybe of a site, and they start to zoom in and do what's called demonstration or more detailed areas of the site to kind of allow people to understand what's happening at a ground level more detailed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can really see how all of the uh, different types of drawings really come together um, and just kind of how complex um, a landscape can be and um, why we need yeah, so many drawings. That, that's correct. And, and they give what's important with these sonometrics is they give um, various options, you know, so they show an idea of if the landscape is built in this kind of plot or this kind of design, that's more like these kind of long linear um grasslands versus one that's more of like of a bosque area or a forested area, this is what the kind of the landscape typology would look like. And, and so they give people various scenarios through these little mini 3D asonometric views. Yeah, the, the little mini perspectives really... Uh, the little mini perspectives, <laughs> yes. Really adds to it. And uh, well, well, the last case study, um, we'll go back to... Uh, my my hometown right now here in uh, Miami, yeah. uh, Puerto Rico. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about this case study and why did you include it in the book? Um, so I wanted to actually include this because you know I've ha- actually it was written by Roberto Rivera and um, and 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 he wanted to actually kind of point out uh, again like more the hy- hydrological framework of this area in Puerto Rico, um, and again using like how you can help tell a story um, like at a large scale or planning level, right? Like if you actually look at the plan, like this kind of almost like the aerial of the site and, and, and it's really beautiful here is like all the kind of developed or important areas that have to deal with green spaces or with hydrology are colored in, right? So, so everything else that has to do with development or build form that surrounds the context um, is subdued with like almost like a whitewash, right? And all the kind of the important areas that have to do with like cleaning the water or creek or the canal or great water of, of the wetland, those um, are the spaces or those are the areas that are actually highlighted and, and, and colored. And and I'm, I'm actually happy that Roberto did that. And that's one thing that I actually would kind of tell the students sometimes is, is perhaps um, one kind of technique to use is, is, of course, the surrounding context is very important, right? And we should all include that. And now that we have access to aerial photography um, or aerial photos, we could use that, for example, maybe from Google Earth, blow that up, maybe perhaps turn it into a black and white or grayscale um, composition 
and that shows what's existing. And then whatever you're doing now is your proposed idea or the areas that you really want to highlight to people. Those are the areas that could be rendered fully or have a different kind of coloring technique that really stands out. So that becomes more dramatic and, and it actually then allows the, the viewer, the reader to kind of, kind of hone in and see that specific area because it's, it's colored, right? It, it's something different, right? And, and, uh, and it, and it makes it more powerful. And so that's how you could kind of help guide your reader, guide your, your viewer to, to those specific areas of importance. Oh uh, yes, yeah, specifically yeah, on page 262, um, showing that all the contour lines and then all the colors on top with a couple of, uh, smaller graphics at the bottom showing, uh, pulling out uh, the plant structure, public space, um, and the hydrology and how it all That's works together. Yeah. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. And, and again, that, that in itself too is like the diagrams, like bringing something that's complex and separating. Like when we're going back to the idea of the, the kind of the, the chunking of the landscapes that, uh, that we were talking about before, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to understand everything about hydrology. And, and so you kind of separate that in its own category. And then it's perhaps hard to understand like plant structure. And so you separate that and have it in its own category. And then kind of the overlay of the public space network that's complex in itself and having that it's, as its own um, separate category, right? And so in this book, what I want to talk about more is that there are all these different tools and different kind of graphic um, typologies or graphic types that we could use to help guide the reader to understand a specific message in your design or your analysis. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is, yeah, this is fascinating. I really love it. And yeah, the, the graphics are just, um, uh, it's, it's hard to believe that it's uh, student work. They did such a, a fabulous job. And and that's why too do like and and that's why we 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 had asked the professors to put in what is considered maybe the top or the best student works because a lot of times students are intimidated that they can't do it and and kind of having other students work in the publication is a is a means to help inspire other students to do their best right you know it's that it's not like they could say well this was done by professionals well no it's not done by professionals it's actually done by by students at your same level or same like uh, or same kind of um, uh, uh, sorry grade level as you so so they 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 now get to see that yes this can be done you know and and of course um, in landscape architecture it's it's a profession not only with like the idea of critical thinking but it's also a profession that you have to have a level of craftsmanship a level of artistry in it and and of course now in in the digital age you also have to understand you know, how to use certain programs and, and not just like the functionality of them, but actually how to compose your ideas in an effective way. Oh, well, this is just an absolutely beautiful book. Um, and, uh, it illustrates, um, uh, landscape architecture so well. Um, well, Nadia, I know we've taken up a lot of your time today, um, and I really thank you for being here. Can you tell us um, what you're working on now? Yes, so I'm, I'm happy you, you asked that. I actually have a, a new book that just came out literally like a couple of days ago, um, and again through Routledge, and it's all part of the Representing Landscapes uh, book series. Um, now kind of going back to the basics, um, 
in terms of hand drawings. And, and so I have a new book out called Representing Landscapes uh, Analog. Um, and uh, again, it's through Routledge. And this one here now focuses on using hand drawings. And again, it, it has, um, again, over about 20 professors who have contributed to this publication. Um, again, from various landscape architecture programs across, uh, across the globe. Um, Jim Richards uh, wrote the foreword for this publication, and he's known as a kind of the kind of the graphic guru guy from Townscapes, who does all these kind of hand graphic workshops. Um, so, so I'm happy that he's done that. And uh, um, and then what I, what's a bit different in this publication is at the end of the book, uh, it actually has a few uh, professional uh, contributors. So. Lori Olin um, has contributed in it, and Kona Gray, for example, has also contributed from EDSA. So there are a handful of professionals who have now showed why it is important to use hand graphics, especially um, you know in the beginning part of the process of the design to to help flesh out some initial ideas. Oh, well, that sounds fascinating. We'll have to chat more about that book. Okay, great. Thanks. I haven't seen it yet. It hasn't. Come. <laughs> I haven't had my physical hands on, on a copy yet, um, so I'll, I'll let you know how, how it turns out when I get it. Oh, well, thank you so much. And again, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed uh, speaking with you, and um, we hope to hear more from you. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me on this conversation. Uh, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much today uh, for joining us for this interview. And again, if you have ideas for new books, please visit my website, plantspeoplelove.com, and drop me a line. Um, this has been New Books in Architecture with the special miniseries in Landscape Architecture. Nadia Amoroso is the editor of Representing Landscapes Digital. Thank you so much. <laughs>